excited to share with you. I had the opportunity just to, to pick uh, tonight the topic just that I'll be sharing from. So we're going to be looking in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 12. That's where we're going to be specifically. And of course, because it's the end of the year and we're preparing to head into the new year, uh, we're going to be talking about the idea of making New Year's resolutions and, and just setting goals before God and trusting God to fulfill, so to speak, the desires of our heart and to help us to accomplish and be effective with the life that he's given us. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in 2 Thessalonians. Again, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This is an incredible passage that just stuck out to me. It's actually a prayer that Paul is praying for the church in Thessalonica, and it's just powerful, powerful stuff. And so I'm excited just to share from this passage uh, as we get into it. But just as we prepare ourselves, here we are at the end of 2019. Pretty crazy, right? To think that it's 2019 already and that we're headed into 2020. I feel like there's so many puns I could tell. There's so many jokes I could tell about that, and I'm sure I'll have a few for us this evening. But this is a perfect time as people, as believers, to reflect and for us to look back over the past year and consider what impact we made with our lives, what difference we made for God and for the advancement of his kingdom. It's a perfect time of the year for us to reflect and look back over this past year and consider what did we do with the time that God has given us? What did we do with 2019? What did we do with the time God calls us to redeem the time, right? To use the time that we have for his glory, for the building of his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, to share our faith, to be missionaries, so to speak, evangelists. God calls us to do that, to redeem the time that God has given us. So I wanna encourage you just throughout this evening and even as we head into the new year, just to take this opportunity and do some introspection Search your heart, search your life, search over this past year, and consider how you use this past year to glorify God with your life. So it's critical that we as believers consider the difference that we are making by the way that we choose to live, right? I'm not simply talking about a resolution that we might have made this past year, I'm not talking about wanting to lose weight or wanting to start some new habit or read so many books. I'm talking about how did we live our lives over the past year, day in and day out. How did we choose to live for God? How did we treat our spouse over the past year? Is our marriage healthier this year than it was the year previously? How do we treat our spouse, you recognize that if we're not gaining ground, we're losing ground. There's, there's no middle ground there, right? If we're not growing, we're dying. We need to constantly uh, be growing. God says if we abide in him, right? If we abide in him, we're a part of the vine, we're growing, we're alive. We ought to see growth, spiritual growth in our lives. So how did we treat our spouse? Did we set an example for our children? this past year of how to live by faith and what it looks like to be, to be a believer. The way that we choose to live for God day in and day out at work, 
Are we an example of somebody who is hardworking? Do we set an example in conduct, in speech, in love, in integrity? I know you might not think that your work is important, but people are watching you and the way that you work. And your coworkers know, I hope, that you're a believer. And if you are a believer, it should affect the way that you work and the integrity uh, that you have. Our lives are not simply made up of large events, right? But they're made up of small things over the course of time, seemingly mundane and insignificant moments that we choose to trust God, to live for him, and to be faithful. That's a majority of what our life is. A majority of our life is just those small moments in life that if we choose to live for God over the course of a lifetime, will work up into this robust faith that is just such a testimony of God's faithfulness to us and, and who he is and what it is uh, that we believe. It's our faith in God that gets into the nitty-gritty details of our lives and permeates every area that just builds and builds upon, over time, layers and layers. That's where faith really takes root. For some of us, perhaps this past year looked a lot different than we anticipated. I would venture to say that that's most of us, right? That this past year looked a lot different than what we thought it was going to look like. I'm sure heading into the year, we had a lot of goals and things that we wanted to see accomplished. Many of us probably didn't accomplish those goals. Maybe things didn't go well for you at work and it didn't turn out the way you expected. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe your marriage isn't where you wished it would be. Maybe you lost a loved one this past year. I don't know what could have happened. Maybe you had a great year. Maybe it was better than you anticipated. Maybe God blessed you in ways you didn't expect for him to bless you. I don't know where you're at in this spectrum. You could be anywhere uh, in there, but I'm sure that this past year turned out much differently than any of us had expected. If we would have known at the beginning of the year what we know now, we probably would have done things differently. But you know what they say, right? Hindsight is 2020. Not this year. Not this year. This year's 2020. We're going into this year with clarity and focus, trusting that God is gonna do incredible things. This year's gonna be different, obviously, pun intended. In all seriousness, as we look forward to the new year, what is it that by God's grace you would like to see accomplished in your life? What would you like to see different? What would you like to see God do in your life this year? As believers and Christians, what difference do we desire to make for the kingdom of God? We get to do that, you know. We're called to do that. We're called to have a gospel ambition, to have a godly desire, to work hard for God and to see his kingdom advance, what is it that by God's grace you would like to see accomplished in your life? As believers and Christians, what difference do we desire to make for God's kingdom? Are you the sort of person who sets goals? And if so, are they godly goals? Or are you the sort of person who refrains from setting goals because you know you won't accomplish them anyway and you don't want to be disappointed? 
I tend to err on that side of things. It's like, I'm not gonna set a resolution because why like disappoint myself? I'm not gonna accomplish it anyway, but you kind of fall in one of two places often. You either are overly ambitious and you set these goals that you intend to accomplish in your own strength apart from the strength that God promises and the, the strength that God gives, or you're not as ambitious because you don't wanna be disappointed by not accomplishing the things you actually hope for or the things that you would like to see accomplished. Well, as we look at God's word together, I hope that we can become the sort of Christians who learn how to set godly goals for the purpose of making an impact in 2020, for the purpose of seeing God's kingdom advance. So let's read 2 Thessalonians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible prayer that God would make us worthy of the calling, the call to salvation, that God would make us worthy of the salvation that he's made available to us, and that he would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith so that he would be glorified and that we would be glorified in him, and this is all accomplished by the grace of God. What an incredible passage of scripture that if we allow it to, can have an impact in our lives and can change the course of events for 2020. That could set us up to make goals and to trust God to make us fruitful and effective according to the power that he gives us. This is an awesome passage of scripture and I hope that by the time we're done looking at it here today, you'll agree with me. Every year, much like many other families, my family watches the ball drop. You know, I was disappointed as a kid when I found out that they didn't actually drop the ball. You know what I mean? Like, that would be worth watching to me. This ball that's always covered in, like, Swarovski crystals that who knows how much it costs to make. Like, if that dropped out of the sky and blew into a million pieces, that's worth watching. You know what I mean? So I would love to watch that. So you, like, when I finally realized, like, oh, it just slowly goes down a pole, and then what? And then it's, I guess it's the next year. It just feels really anticlimactic. You know what I mean? Like, you would really hope that something special would happen when you can't, like, it's like when you pass over a state line, you're always expecting to feel something different, and you never really do. You're like, oh, this is what it feels like to be here now. That's like what happens. We watch the ball drop, and I don't know. I just think it'd be better if they actually dropped the ball and it smashed into millions of pieces. That seems uh, like a lot of fun to me. I remember as a kid, though, one year in particular scared me. It was the year 2000. You know what I'm talking about. I was 10 years old. I wasn't prepared for this psychologically, okay? I thought we were going to be like in a post-apocalyptic world. It was Y2K. I know you know what I'm talking about because some of you still have 55-gallon drums of gasoline stored for your generators. 
You know what I'm talking about? Apparently, I guess, when 2000 hit, the year 2000, we were supposed to lose all power and we were supposed to go back into the Stone Age. I don't know what we were expecting to happen. I just remember at 10 years old, I was scared for my life. Okay, so you could imagine the excitement as I'm watching this ball drop and counting down, and as we finally count down to zero and the power stays on, oh my goodness, I was jumping up and down. What I didn't know is that my father was by the electrical box and he flipped the breaker on the house. And so it goes from extreme excitement, whoa, I'm so excited, to darkness and silence. I was scared for my life. I looked at my brother and I thought, I'm gonna have to eat you now. Like, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I, I, that might have happened, you know what I mean? Like, it might have come to that for all I knew. I was only 10, I couldn't be prepared for this. I was excited to learn that my wife always thought that when we counted down, that the world was gonna end, which I don't know why millions of people would be excited for that moment, but she was convinced that the world was gonna end. Well. Oddly enough, I know as funny as this story sounds, this was actually the mindset of the Thessalonian church when we're reading about this passage here in this scripture. They were actually under the impression that the world was ending. They believed that the world was ending and that as we read this scripture, the day of the Lord had come. They believed that they were living in the end times and when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote it with the purpose of correcting a misunderstanding among the believers about the end times. It's kind of confusing, as most things with the end times are often confusing because they haven't happened yet, so we can't really know them. It's all speculation. There's things that we try to understand, and there are some things that we can know, but ultimately, there are future events that we don't understand but they were convinced that they were living in the very end of days and that things were gonna get really, really bad. So Paul was writing this letter to this church with the purpose of correcting their misunderstanding. What actually happened is someone forged a letter in Paul's name. This is crazy stuff. I was talking to Leah, my wife, about this, and it's wild to me to think that we have God's word here today because there were people who were writing letters and forging those letters as if it was Paul speaking and they were trying to cause confusion amongst the churches and Paul actually talks about that in his letters to the Thessalonians. And so there was confusion taking place because someone had told them that the day of the Lord was there, that they were living in the very end of times, that it was the end of the world as they knew it and understood it and they were scared. They were scared because they thought they were living in the end of days. The church here in Thessalonica, they were being persecuted. And they weren't being made fun of because of their faith, right? That's what we think persecution is for us here in America. They were being arrested and beaten and killed because of their faith. That's the persecution they were facing. And so they thought that they were living in the day of the Lord, the end of times, they're being persecuted, there's people who are telling them false things, false, they're having, giving them lies and trying to cause confusion in the church and Paul is writing to straighten them out. So as you could imagine, this caused fear in some of them, but it also caused many of them to stop living for God. They were on the sidelines. They were Christians who were sitting on the bench. 
They felt like they didn't need to get a job because why get a job if we're living in the last days? And so some Christians were actually living off of what other Christians could provide for them and they were trying to camp out and hide out in a bunker somewhere. You know what I mean? They were kind of trying to protect themselves from the world around them. And there was a cause for a lot of confusion and a lot of fear that was paralyzing a lot of Christians and preventing them from working for the Lord, for doing things and, and doing good works that are motivated by faith, so to speak. And so, needless to say, these were difficult and confusing times for this church here in Thessalonica. And I would say that we are also living in confusing times as well. Wouldn't you agree? That the world we live in is a really strange place right now, and it's a really weird time to be alive. We are witnessing our faith, what we believe, slowly being attacked, and we're witnessing the end of Christianity in America. Some people would say that we are already post-Christian in the United States, and that's true, but there are also Christians all over the world who are currently being persecuted and killed. I don't know if you had heard or read, but there were 11 Christians who were killed on Christmas Day because it was Christmas Day and Muslims actually killed them for their faith because they knew how holy of a day that was that we were celebrating the coming of Christ. So we are living in really confusing times as Christians. And if we read the news for a minute, we walk away oftentimes feeling anxious and afraid. And if we're not careful, it can paralyze us from living our life and the life that God has given us to live and doing a work for God that has the ability to make an impact and change the world. As believers, it would be easy for us to get discouraged by the events taking place in the world around us. We might even be tempted to insulate ourselves from the rest of the world and remove ourselves even though God has chosen to cause us to remain. We must not be tempted to become uninvolved, but all the more, this is a time for us to lean in and work hard for God. This passage encourages us to get back in the game, and although you might have had the wind knocked out of you, to get back up and to keep fighting for what it is that we believe in. I wanna look at this passage, and I wanna talk about how we as Christians can persevere in our faith in the world that we're living in. We can persevere through prayer, by the power that God gives us, and he gives us a purpose. So we're gonna look at prayer, power, and purpose. The first point that I wanna talk about is prayer. At the beginning of the verses that we're looking at here today, Paul says, to this end, to this end. Paul is saying that in light of everything I just wrote to you, Paul was reminding the believers in Thessalonica that they don't need to worry about the circumstances that surround their life because all of this persecution and suffering has a purpose. This is one thing that you and I can be absolutely certain of, that all of the difficulty that we're experiencing is not meaningless. All of the suffering that you go through is not meaningless. God redeems it, and it has a purpose. The disappointments that you face in life, the setbacks that you go through, 
the things that you didn't see coming that kind of knocked you off the horse or knocked the wind out of you or whatever that got you out of the game that caused you to think, I don't know if I can keep moving forward. Those moments in life that caused you to doubt and step back for a second. If we didn't have God, those things would be purposeless. But because we have God, he redeems those things in our life that are setbacks and obstacles, and he uses them to cause us to become people who can persevere through anything, who can go through anything because of the faith uh, that we have. All of the difficulty we experience in this life is not meaningless. God redeems every ounce of it and uses it to shape us more and more into the image of his son. God is redeeming your hurts, your pains, and your disappointments, and he's making you more like Jesus through them. We can be encouraged because all of this chaos and confusion that surrounds this world is coming to a beautiful end that is being unfolded according to the sovereign plan of our God. We already know this, right? I don't know why it surprises us whenever we see the news and we're thinking, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened today? Like, are you really genuinely surprised or are you just disappointed it's happening in your lifetime? Are you really surprised by the things that are happening in our world when God told us in scripture that they're going to happen? Like, if anything, we can say like, I know how it ends. I know how it ends, and I know who wins, and I'm on the winning team. We can have the confidence of knowing how the story ends, and so we shouldn't be caught off guard or surprised when the events of this world and the difficulties of life creep up on us and try to take us out and try to knock the wind out of us. We can be encouraged because we know how the story ends. And what Paul says next should inform how we should respond in the midst of this confusion. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. That's exactly what you'd expect to hear, right? That's always the answer. Pray and read your Bible. That's always the answer, but that's exactly what we would expect to hear. Listen, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's possible, but things change when we pray. We move the heart of God when we pray. Somehow, God answers our prayers and works them into his sovereign plan over the course of time. God changes things when we pray. It's scripture. God changes, look at King Hezekiah. He added 15 years to his life when he was supposed to, to die. God changes things when we pray and works them into his sovereign plan, God changes things when we pray. Why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? I mean, we're always so interested in trying to gain the approval of people who don't have the ability to do anything for us, and yet we have the approval of the creator God of the universe. We have access to his throne room, and at any moment, because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ, boldly we can approach his throne with confidence and cast our cares before him. God does things when we pray. And Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you. He has taken into account the things for which we pray 
and he alters the course of events for our lives and weaves them into his sovereign plan because he always knew it to begin with. Because he always knew. He always knew that there was gonna be a moment when it looks like you're down and out, where the enemy thinks that he won and he realizes that, in God realizes in that moment you're gonna hit your knees in prayer and he's gonna intervene and he's gonna do a work in your life that is going to thwart the plan of the enemy and cause you to overcome in ways that you could have never imagined because that's the God that we serve. Listen to these verses. John 15, seven says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's the power of prayer. First John, this is John who wrote the Gospel of John, now writing in First John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that awesome? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Here's the catch. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. I presume that often our prayer life is a bit limited. We don't pray enough, fair enough? We don't pray as much as we ought to. And not only is our prayer life limited, but it's often with the wrong motives. We don't pray enough and when we do pray, we pray because we're in a pinch and we want God to get us out. We pray because we're in a bind. This is not to say that the things we desire are bad. It's often that we desire them apart from God. That if God will just fix this one little problem in our life, we'll go back to living life as if he didn't even exist. We desire the things we pray for more than we desire the one who we're praying to. And when we can learn to desire God above all else, understanding that he is enough, I suspect that our prayers will more often align with God's will and we will have a more effective prayer life. Don't you think? But if you come to God in prayer and you ask that he would change things, oftentimes what he'll do is he'll change you. He'll change you. I love the language that it is, uh, that Paul uses here. He says that God will make us worthy of our salvation. It's not our own work. It's God that makes us worthy of our salvation through prayer. What I have found myself praying lately is that God would strengthen me in my inmost being. That God would strengthen me in my inmost being. And I think moving forward, that's the way I'm gonna pray for anyone who I get the opportunity to pray for that God would strengthen you in your inmost being. Because if your spirit is strong, you can overcome anything. But if you have a crushed, broken spirit, man, who can bear that? That's what the proverb says. A crushed spirit, who can bear it? So I don't know what you're facing, and I pray that God does a work in that situation, but I pray the work he does is that he will strengthen you in your inmost being. Paul says always praying or praying without ceasing. It's critical for us to reorient our lives in times they may seem a bit confusing. That is prayer. The second point I wanna look at is power. 
Through prayer, I don't know how God does it, but he changes things, namely us. And he makes us worthy of our salvation by changing us more into the likeness of his son, who is a tangible example of how we should desire to live. There should be a desire within us to be more like Jesus. And God is the one who does this incredible work, and God is the one who gives us the power to do it. We, like the Thessalonians, can become so disoriented in this life that we are tempted to do nothing with it. Isn't that the worst? That when moments in life that are difficult, sometimes too difficult for us to bear, instead of trusting God, we like become like a recluse and we block ourselves in and we shut ourselves out from the rest of the world and we're tempted to do nothing with the life that God gave us. But God gave us this heavenly currency and when he returns, he expects an investment on that. He expects that there will be an investment that you made with your life that will have made an impact for the kingdom of God. We can't be tempted to do nothing with the life that God has given us. There should be a desire within each of us to live for God. We, like the Thessalonians, can become so disoriented in life that we're tempted to do nothing with the life God gave us. But God, by his power, fulfills, I love this in this verse, God's power fulfills in us every resolve for good and every work of faith. God makes your life effective. God makes the work that you do effective. And he redeems the work that you do for his glory and for his purposes. Man, I know that there's moments where you question, what is my purpose? What am I doing? What difference am I making? But God fulfills every resolve for good and every work of faith. It's God through prayer who changes us and makes us worthy of the calling of salvation. It is God by his power at work in our lives who fulfills every resolve for good and every work of faith. This is exciting and encouraging for us. For many of you who are goal-oriented, how many of you are goal-oriented? Can I just ask? If you're a goal-oriented, driven, and ambitious person, the temptation is to try and live the Christian life in your own strength. And yet there are others who have become incapacitated by life and are afraid to try anything. I try, I, I, I tend to head that way. I tend, I, I, don't, I don't find myself being a naturally driven, ambitious, and goal-oriented person. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I'm probably not supposed to say that. I should probably say my biggest weakness is that I work too hard. You know, man, that's my biggest weakness in life, right? But I'm afraid to try anything. I'm afraid that if I, if I put myself out there that I'll fail. It's the same temptation, right? Those of us who are goal-oriented, try to accomplish it in our own strength, and those of us who are afraid to try anything recognize we're too weak to try anyway. So why bother? But it's not in our strength or in our power that we're living this life that God has given us, right? It's in the power that God gives us. God gives us the power to fulfill our resolutions and take a step of faith. It's God who gives you the ability to accomplish the work that you're doing 
if, if you're goal-oriented and ambitious and you're doing it in your own strength, you're working in vain unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And if you're too afraid to take a step of faith and try anything, you're trusting in your own strength more than you're trusting in God's strength. God is the one who gives us the power to fulfill the call that he's given us. So I say go for it. Try something different. Make some resolutions this year. Decide that you want to make an impact for God's kingdom to see it advance in your life and the world around you. Make a resolution to have a better marriage, to have a more peaceful home, to eat less cookies. I don't know. Whatever it is, make a resolution and go for it. Try something different and recognize it's not in your strength or in your power anyway. It's in God's strength. It's in his power. Whatever it might be, keep in mind that there is always a draw to utilize those things that you accomplish to justify yourself before God and others. Instead, consider that the only reason you have the ability to live and move and have your being the reason that the air fills your lungs, the reason that your feet hit the ground in the morning is because God has given you the strength, the power, and the life to do so. From the very beginning, it is God who makes you worthy of the call of salvation. Now it is God who gives you the ability to carry out any good work that your hand finds to do and every work of faith. He owns the entire process, and thank God he does. Otherwise, we'd fail miserably, and we have. As an unbeliever, our weak or your weak attempts to justify ourselves before God and others, Scripture says, are like filthy rags. But now that God has made you worthy of his calling, he redeems your work, and he makes it effective and fruitful in ways that you couldn't have previously imagined. If there's a dream or a desire in your heart, to ta then take it to the Lord in prayer and go about making it a reality in his power, in his strength, not your own. Sure, there's gonna be setbacks and absolutely things will turn out much differently than you had expected, but don't let that stop you. Remember, he is the one that owns the process. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one that is shaping you more and more into the image of his son. In 2020, get back into the game and get to work. And then lastly, I want to talk about the purpose. Why? Why do we pray? What is this power given to us for? To what end and for what purpose? Since God is the author and perfecter of our faith, and since he owns the rights to our story, since he changes us through prayer and gives us the power to complete and redeem our work, Paul tells us it's so that the name of the Lord may be glorified. Apart from God, our only hope is that somehow we can make it through life unscathed and maybe, just maybe, one day we could be successful enough to retire just in time for our bodies and minds to start to fail us. Apart from God, any minor setback in life becomes a huge struggle and obstacle in an effort to obtain the life that we think is worth living However, in Christ, God uses those setbacks. God redeems those twists and turns in your story. 
God redeems all of the suffering and the pain that you're experiencing, and he uses them to shape you and make you more into the image of his son. Apart from God, minor setbacks become a huge obstacle. However, in Christ, God uses those obstacles to change us, and he redeems our work by his power so that he might be glorified in us. Seems like a pretty fair trade-off, right? I give my life to God. He does something with it that I couldn't have done on my own. All that he asks is that I glorify him with my life. But that's not all. He shares his glory with you. God shares his glory with you. Why? Why should he? Don't we owe him everything? Don't we owe our entire lives to him? Why should he share his glory with us? That's what it says here, that we'd be glorified in him and he'd be glorified in us. That God chooses to share his glory with us because he's a gracious God. Because he's a God full of grace and he loves you. And he wants to do a work in your life that he would use you so that he might be glorified in our home, in our workplace, in our school, and in the world, and so that we might be glorified and share in that glory with him. I would encourage you, don't let off the gas. I know you, I know you may have gotten the wind knocked out of you, but get back in the game and make some plays, because in the end, you're on the winning team. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what happened this year, and I know whatever took place, again, it might have been great, it might have been wonderful, and I hope that it was. I hope that you had a blessed year. But maybe some horrible things happened this year, and you're tempted to play it a little safe, to sit on the bench, but you win in the end. So why not get out in the game and make some awesome plays so that way when you stand before God, you can be rewarded for the life that he's given you. That's a real thing. There are rewards in heaven for the life that we live and how we live it. Man, I wanna be in the game and I wanna make some awesome plays. I don't wanna sit on the sidelines and sit on the bench because in the end, we're on the winning team anyway. So why not make some awesome plays in the meantime? We definitely live in a very disorienting time. Currently, we're not being persecuted externally like churches in other countries perhaps but we're certainly plagued with the worries of this world, aren't we? Trying to keep up with those around us. I don't know why we do this. People do this all the time, but they take pictures of their Christmas tree with all the presents underneath of it. I don't, why do we do that stuff? Have you ever seen that before? And you feel this pressure immediately. You try not to, but you feel like, man, I wish I could do more, you know? And that's what the world does. That's how the world lives. We feel this pressure to keep up and we feel the worries of this world bearing down on our lives. So maybe we're not being persecuted externally, but certainly there's a battle taking place internally within each of us. Every time we read or watch the news, there's another reason why we should be afraid or why we should be alarmed. Not to mention our own personal struggles and the crazy twists and turns that life seems to take. Man, it's tough. Life can be difficult. It's very easy to become anxious in our world and filled with fear. 
and that fear could paralyze us or tempt us to sit on the sideline. However, through prayer, God changes us and gives us the power to fulfill incredible goals for his glory and ours. All of this is undergirded by God's goodness and his grace. So as we prepare to close the chapter on 2019 and then to move into 2020, I hope that we do so with some clarity. God has been faithful in the past and he holds the future. So let's set some crazy goals. Let's be ambitious and let's bathe it in prayer and trust that God will give us the power to fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Let's not sit on the bench, but let's get involved and be a part of what God is doing in this world. Amen.